Uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Ian Hayden Smith, and welcome to another one of the BAFTA Crew Masterclasses, uh, running in conjunction with Creative England. And we're very happy to be here at home, um, which is a fantastic new cultural hub up here. And very happy to have Sarah Jane Will here this afternoon. Um, Sarah has been a production coordinator, production manager, and is now a line producer. And her work has included The Last King of Scotland, Mighty Heart, Centurion, The Iron Lady, Red Riding, Effie Gray, and two forthcoming productions, Mind Hall and Mind Horn even, and A Monster Calls. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Hello. One of the things I was quite curious about, when you're sorting the budget for the whole thing, what's your actual budget right at the beginning? when you, both in terms of how much money do you tend to find you have to actually figure out all these things way in advance of the film starting, and how much time do you tend to have, or tend oh, to be given see, to do, do that? Do, right, do you ask me how much I'm being paid to generate a budget, Do you actually have, in, yes, in the I case if you have to get people on board to travel somewhere, not how much you're actually paid, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I handed out a bank statement that you had in your handbag earlier, so everyone knows yeah, So that. you know I don't need a coffee, I'm <laughs> fine, yeah, I, I, um, yes, uh, often what a film will do is apply for some development money to get them moving, to get because they want the feasibility, because XX will not put money into a film unless they know, and so that's the purpose of doing the budget. The budget schedule will take, I can normally do it in about two weeks. Um, if it's mo- very complex, multi-currency, and, and there needs to be a lot of research into something, maybe a little bit longer. But generally, I think I can normally do it in two weeks. Um, and my th- I get a set fee for that, and that's all I producers do, and it can gravitate up and down in, in, in quite different amounts, what you get paid, based on the size of the budget, on complicated, I'm sure somebody on Star Wars got a large amount of money, and I'm sure somebody who was mind drawn, you know, we didn't get as big a money, it would change all the time. And then to do any kind of prep feasibility um, before we go into production, there's a there's a development, normally a development fund that's paid for, um, so in the one that I'm going to do next, in two weeks' time, we put in a, an application and it's the bare minimum. It's a designer for two weeks, a location manager for two weeks, me for three weeks, an accountant to do a cash flow, and a bit of stationery and a bit of travel. And we've submitted that. And they will say yes or no. And if that's the case, they will say yes because they're not going to have a film if we don't do this work. So it tends to be a one-off. And in the same way that HODs, like the people they work with, have you found you tend to gravitate towards a group of people or is it just depending oh, yeah. on who's... No, uh, and that is the, the, the biggest problem in the film industry of course, is trying to get into the film industry and I was always a bit sort of I could never quite understand it when I first started out um, and now of course I understand it totally you're spending X amount of hours with the same person day in, day out, in your team you have to have trust uh, laughs if you can Um, you know you rely it's a very close relationship and so you do find people will keep employing the same people over and over and over again and will fight for them they may be okay about assistants and runners but they normally there is one person that they absolutely insist on and that's very difficult as well because Nikki with Nikki Ball we were talking earlier one of the earlier jobs I did coming to Yorkshire obviously you want to 
employ people in Yorkshire, that's the point of coming, it's to generate a film industry and to sort of, you know, and no one's going to get any experience if I bring everybody from London. So, but in the same respect, I've got to give the HOD's crew that they can work with and trust. So it's, you know, now Yorkshire's fabulous and full of hundreds of people. Um, it, it takes time, it's a very two-pronged thing, but it's very difficult to break in, that's the problem, because of that allegiance. And how about you, how easy was it to break in? Because you came from accountancy? Am I... no, oh, well, well, before that, yeah, I mean, I did a degree I, yeah. in Newcastle, I came down to London, um, I answered an advert in Loot to be a runner in a post-production place and got cash in hand, and oh, it was really hard. I was sending out CVs over and over again. I didn't know anybody in the film industry. And then my friend got a breakthrough, and she literally grabbed me, and yes, it was it was accountants. Uh, I was accounts runner on Star Wars. So, accounts runner, yeah, forget that bit. Star Wars was what <laughs> made the difference, and of course, once I'd... You, you could go in and do anything... But once you've got a name and a group of people, you're in. And then it's just grown, grown, grown. It's, it's hard. It, I think at one point I thought, oh, well, maybe I want to go and be an AD. And I couldn't break into the AD team. So you kept doing dailies or little second units or little bits here and little bits there. But you just had to keep going, keep going. Oh, no, I'll go back to production, actually. <laughs> I don't like standing in the cold too long. <laughs> um, yeah, since I've been talking with you this morning, you, you sound very passionate yeah. about what you do yeah. and I'm curious about the practicalities of, of your work, of ha- having to keep working mm. with your passion for cinema and actually taking on projects that you like where do you find the balance of actually being approached about things and thinking yeah, you know what, that pays yeah. the bills, that I really want to do well I'm now of an age that maybe. I don't have a lot of responsibilities and a lot of costs, so that's just a fortunate thing because I've worked so hard and paid things off when I was younger. I'm a little bit more stable. There have been years where it has not been like that and it's been very difficult to get work. And also the film industry. Uh, I don't know much about the TV industry, but I certainly with the film industry, we are in a golden era right now, but I've known the bottom of it as well and it's hard you really scratch around and it's very difficult but um, so really it's only been in the last few years that I've been able to say I want that film, I will wait for it, I will hold out for it Um, And what do you look for in a project? Well again for me I get a lot out of the experience of where we're going and what we're doing so it isn't always story-led. I'd love it to be an amazing script, but if someone says to me, we're going to Uganda, I'm off. Um, I, I, it, it, for me, going somewhere like that... Lots of other people, designers, get creativity through their costumes, through, they either get their Oscars, they go, yeah. I have to get my kicks from working with amazing people, working in different places, working in different cultures trying to keep a level head in understanding the different cultures, which doesn't always happen. And that's where my excitement comes from. It's the experience of making a film somewhere completely different and trying to apply your normal procedure and then watching it all just go up in the air and go, how am I going to do this? It's really exciting. You know, did going to India with Michael Winterbottom, but with Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt, you know, it's like, how's this all going to 
come together. It's, it's exciting. So for me, I love it if just all the brilliant scripts landed on my desk, but they're not going to. There's going to be hit and misses. And to be honest, I don't know how any of us ever read a script and know every single time. If you read all the scripts this week and you went, had to point to a blockbuster, you wouldn't get it. Well, in fact, we know they don't always get it right. So, you know, you, you have to look at what else it's going to give you. Are there really nice producers attached that you've worked with before? You know, I mean, that's a big draw. The director, you know. And then sometimes you have to be a bit mercenary and go, do you know what, is that just going to put me into a different bracket filmmaking you know, shall I just go and work with, do a born identity? Because maybe it'll just open a door to some other really interesting things. So, it, or can I come away with a selfie with Brad Pitt? <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> Any questions? So quite yes, at the back. Thank you, that person. <laughs> the floodgates open. Do you give to anyone who wants to become a language user? And a second tier question. Um, what advice would you give to someone who comes from the very hard? And if you're coming from a TV background or elsewhere, mm. how hard is it and what advice would you give somebody who wants to, you know, get into TV and go? Sure, yeah, okay. Um, what was the first one? The first one was, what advice would you give to yeah. someone? Yeah, okay. Um, the, the bit that I didn't cover when I was stood up there is you will meet many line producers and they will have come from many different backgrounds. So the first thing to know is there's not just one route. Um, I came up through production as you know, through as an assistant coordinator, coordinator PM. You often find second ADs move across, come become production managers and line produce. Location managers often cross and become production managers, and accountants often become line producers. So there's no fixed way of doing it, but obviously it's the management management skills and the people skills with a, and, and a good overview of what everybody else is doing is going to be your key. Um, so I can't really give you a great example or the other way of course is just go away and do your own films and come up that way and then come across but that's quite unusual because people are not very it's not that they're not trusting they just want to know that we've already talked about how enclosed it can be moving from TV and film well that used to be a very long time ago like I don't have a lot of television on my CV not through choice I just don't know many people this is the first year, or last year, that I'm actually now going up for television things. My name's being put forward because we're having a complete... You know, it's been amazing, the change in television here. I mean, the tax credit that came in last year or the year before um, for television shows, you're finding that Netflix, Amazon, they're all coming here. There's HBO stuff being made. And the landscape's changing. It's not the divide that it once was so I think anything that had gone before is shifting slightly so I think it's quite easy to grab it's, it's certainly d down south at the moment is it much easier to gravitate between the two and it's actually people are almost sort of saying well we don't know how much of the mid-ground film is going to be left how many more 20 million pound films are going to be made we've got a lot of 3 millions and we've got a lot of blockbusters how many in the middle well funny enough Amazon and Netflix and all these wonderful big TV series are filling that middle ground and the crew from film are finding that the rates have gone up and are fitting into that area. So it's not how it was. Probably still a bit of snobbery. I think that's still... And people... You know, it's, like, it's the same people talk to me about commercials. 
and doing corporate stuff who desperately want to get into film. It is... Sometimes there is still a little bit of snobbery, but I think it's changing, and changing fast, because there's some good stuff around. You mentioned earlier uh, about your first uh, sort of encounter with Nikki at Creative England. Yeah. She was here, sat at the back. And she was telling me earlier about the project, which was Red Riding, the Julian mm. Jarrell episode of it. And it sounds weird to call it an episode, one, because it was a standalone hour-and-a-half film in a way. But also, it struck me as being a watershed programme in terms of the way that you look at television. And it felt like one of the earliest films that felt incredibly cinematic. And it really is. It it feels like from that moment on, and also Ridley Scott being involved and lots of different people being involved in that, that sort of set the standard. And as a result, in America as well, there is this sense that TV is just becoming more cinematic. Absolutely. I was involved quite early on because of the revolution films with Anita, which is why I did the first one, because I did all of the prep with her, and then other people brought in to do the other episodes. And to be honest, it never felt like we were filming a television thing anyway. The approach was film. Um, The producers came from film. Pretty much most of the people crewed were from film. Um, The fact that they were in episodes... No, we actually had three different line producers, three different production officers, three different production designers. I know that now is kind of common in television, but it was, they were very much treated as separate films. They were shot in three different formats, so there was no desire to have the look the same. I mean, my ones was Super 16, second one was Red, third one was 35mm. That alone was extraordinary to not even keep your formats the same. <laughs> Glad I didn't do post-production on that. Um, <laughs> I, it, it, but yes, and then I, I came up here and did that, and the budget was about $2 million, and every interview I went for for about a year was, yeah, how do we make that in London? How do we do Red Riding? How do we do it? We, we want that look. We want that. It was the ripple effect was extraordinary, and yet it wasn't really. It was it, We had one film broadcast uh, at the National Film but it, it went on television and very late at night on Channel 4 um, it, with the HODs were very were, were, were exciting and breaking through uh, they've all gone on to extraordinary ventures um, so it was a very one of those very really special projects and they come along sometimes Shooting Dogs which is probably not called Shooting Dogs on the IMDB now it's probably, cause they all, the Rwanda yeah, film yeah, yeah. you know it, 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 people the crew that were on that film that went to Rwanda with Michael Caden Jones still talk about that film now as one of the best experiences they've ever had the crew just were like that and it was just you know we're, we're, some of us are still friends it's magic when that happens it's great we'll come back to some earlier things but staying with HODs at the moment mm-hmm. um and you mentioned being a location there, Last King of Scotland, X and Y over in Taiwan. Um, and I had a, did a masterclass a couple of months ago with a makeup designer who was HOD on Everest. Oh, yeah. And I'm just curious about that crossover between your responsibilities to make sure everything is ready mm-hmm. and the head of department's responsibility to make sure they have everything and is it like a Venn diagram? Is there a grey area where you cross over into the area to just make sure they have everything? Because she was saying they were inventing things. Mm. And if they'd forgotten one single thing, they would be travelling down from Kathmandu mm. back to the UK to get something to fly back over, and they couldn't yeah. afford that. Yeah. I, I will always 
I always think, I like to think that HOD is, getting, is, is, is experienced enough to know and understand all the pitfalls and, and prepare herself. So, say for this example, a hair and makeup designer, I would expect them to think through the wigs, the fact that a classic is going to certain countries, there are certain chemicals and certain things and certain dyes you can't get. So think this through. I probably will have a conversation with them when I'm thinking, when I'm talking with them about warning them because I've done a feasibility study of what's there and what's not. But then there is a point where they've just forgotten something. Um, I will have to help with them deal with that. Yeah, in that instance, yes, <laughs> running out of something that far away is a little tricky. Um, but you have to weigh up the consequences with them of what of what's of what it's worth. I, t- I don't sit on them and checklist them uh, I, I think they have to, I think it's uh, well otherwise I would be a hair and makeup designer so it's, it's you know people have got to be able to do their jobs in their environment um, but we have to be a very very aware informed production office to warn people about things like print cartridges voltages you know and, and the things that people aren't thinking of they're thinking about wigs but they're probably not thinking about electricals you know so you, I will like I said before, there's a lot of prep that goes into ensuring that your team know everything. Um, she mentioned an interesting one, the uh, point that the line producer raised with her, that you're both, they, I think they were high up in the Alps in Italy, mm. as well as being high up in Nepal, and they had everything with them, but it was the line manager who turned around and said, yeah, but what are you going to do with it? Because they're environmental policies. Mm. You can't just leave this stuff anyway so it was then having to go off and create biodegradable towels Mm. things that they could leave behind that would actually break down over time but again that's something a conversation that took place between the line manager who wasn't just thinking about what do we need then but what's going to happen with it Yeah, and that that absolutely that would fall into my remit because again part of that feasibility is knowing that you can't you can't leave a banana skin up in Everest you know it's it's everything so so suddenly that will you know you can't the litter that's left you know you you will have to conform to so that's not just for the makeup department everyone's going to ask about that um we have that I mean yes and wonderful if you're on a film where they're changing boundaries and inventing things and have the ability to do that um I'm trying to think of an example where I've had something like that but I can't think of anything right now, but again, it comes down to understanding every crew, all the crew's needs and what they're going to require when you go to, a, to well, in this case, foreign country, and making sure they're thinking about it. So we'll have a conversation, and then maybe it'll spark something else that they have in their department that they're thinking of. Um, yeah, the whole green and sustainable policy stuff has exploded. In, and, and you know there are jobs on films with Warner Brothers where there are just greens and assets people just doing that alone tracking and having to produce carbon footprint projects because in America this is taken very seriously and you have to hit a target it is here too obviously I, I did one for on a low budget film um, for Screen Yorkshire and actually it turned out because I was so low budget I was recycling because I was selling half of it on eBay so actually I got my carbon <laughs> footprint and you know I was using things you know and recycling but that's a whole new world of filmmaking that's happening as well, the recycling Yes uh, What do you feel helped you make the transition from production manager to line producing and to be seen in that different role what did you have to go through to, to make that? Well, they've always been 
I don't know, I can only speak for myself, but um, I've always been quite, uh, if I see an opportunity to learn something or to not promote myself, but to move into and say, I can do that, I can do that. I've always done that. So even as a coordinator, my boss was saying I was production managing. When I was production managing, I was always kind of doing a lot of light reducing. Every time there was an opportunity to do a deal with someone or to learn something, I was always saying, let me have a go, let me go. Under the guise of the comfortable production managing job, I was always pushed. Maybe because I was in lower budget things, I got opportunities that other big budget films, they would have this person for this, this person for this. So mine felt quite seamless. Um, It didn't feel like today this job stops and this, today this job starts. Also, sometimes I didn't have a production manager between line producer and coordinator. So then I drop down a bit and cover a bit more that I would have done on a job. Every time you do a job and you line produce, it's different. job I'm about to do, um, I, I have a production manager. And so, yeah, it means I can do things further up again and start asking those questions and moving more into the... Yeah, and a producerial, you know, could I do this, can I do that? So I, I, for me, it's never felt so definitive, I think. I don't think that really answers it, but, yeah. <laughs> Slight extension of that, um, one of the crew members who couldn't be here today asked the question, what about projects with only a line producer and no production manager or vice versa? Mm-hmm. Under which circumstances, if any, is this advisable? And why would a producer choose to work this way? Well, if it is a... Two million pound film set in one area that seems perfectly straightforward script wise with only X amount of actors, you probably could get away with, you, you will in all departments get away with having a reduce, you're not going to have the team that you would have on Star Wars just because that's what's done. You know, you always reduce your crew slightly. Um, I won't lie, it is very tough to not have a production manager. Um, just to help with the workload. Um, but I've done it. I've done it recently. I've done it on a few films. And I think sometimes your hand is forced and there is no... The, the, the cost of having a another person, a another person. Other departments are having to cut back their crew. You have to do the same. Um, it just means your job is extended and, and covered more. But if it's a straightforward job, you know, maybe it's only four weeks in a house... It's a horror film. Nobody leaves the house. Yes. I wanted to ask about um, how you work the first AD because you're both involved in the scheduling process. So mm. who does what and how does that process Sure. It's, uh, when, you, when you go on schedule as well. I like to schedule when I do my budget because I think for me it's very useful breaking down the script, seeing how many action vehicles, how many stunts, how many horses, how many explosions, how many helicopters. And it all goes in. And from that generating and, and, doing, and doing the budget. Uh, some line producers in that period that we talked about will ask a first AD to do a schedule because they either don't like scheduling or don't think they're very good at it or whatever reason, I don't know. Um, so they will split some of the, their fee to get a first AD to generate the schedule. Um, I personally like to do it. Uh, it gets me a good sense of the script. As soon as the first AD's on board, I've given him the schedule. And he will probably wants to redo it himself. Very rare that they would take my schedule because, again, for the same process, it's breaking down every scene and when you do it in a schedule, wow, you can see it all. It's, comes, it's like the Matrix. It all comes to life. Um, I'm very happy to then hand that over. 
what happens he manages it manages it manages it the minute we start filming and he's like on set busy 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 depending on your relationship so on Get Santa I had a relationship the first and he was happy to give me back the schedule and said oh my god I think we're going to run over blah 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 we're not going to leave this location can you see what it does to the cast and who's got to be called back so I will work with him on that some first ADs would like their second to do it because they don't want you fiddling with it. It just depends on the relationship. But I like to work closely because I don't like surprises. Hi, um, yeah. I'm a location manager um, exploring the idea of moving into my country. One of the things I love about my job is the creative element, the creative input that I have. Yeah. Um, do you, just going back to what you were saying when you're on, on a recce, mm and you're bending the knee to all these conversations and but not wanting to stamp on ideas. Do you mm. feel that the line producer should have a creative input into the yes. process? Yes. Um, that, and, that's, and that's the thing, because often we're seen as you know, just holding the purse strings yeah. and, and, and it can be quite sort of depressing sometimes. I, for me, I, like, like I said, I think that there is an opportunity to have a creative process and you have to grab it, and when you see it, you grab it, and, and, and you will become good, really good at it. So I work with a company called Scott Free, and I love that moment when they give me a script and go, how are we going to make this? How are we going to make this for 4 million, 8 million, 2 million? And it's that moment, and for yourself as well, from your background and where you've come from, that can be quite exciting because you go, I know a great place where we can do all of this. It can service like one of these wonderful one-stop shops, MOD-based yeah. kind of thing. And you go, yeah. do you know what? We could do this entire horror film here and save on trucks, transport. It, it, the creative process... It, actually, do you know what? It sounds more logistical. Because So that's the thing. What do you mean when you say creative? For me, I think when I say creative, it's logistical yeah. and the excitement of for, forming what's going to happen and how we're going to approach it. I think that's very exciting, sitting down and talking about that and really brainstorming and coming up with solutions to problems about how you're going to do things. That's probably what I mean when I say the creative process. And I think for a lot of the location managers that have gone up to line producing, their skills are about the unit, the physical, how we're going to move. You know, you often find that location managers do line produce, take on very logistical location style films as well because it's their they're passionate about it they know it and they're going to be good at it and they can come up with great ideas and solutions so I suppose creative is not about a traditional creative it can have many forms how is how is your sort of relationship with a line producer developed over time um it, well <laughs> Practice. <laughs> <laughs> you step outside of it. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. feel free. No, it depends on the line producer, yeah. 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 Um, and their background and, and how they approach it. I mean, that, that was a very good answer that we gave there. Um, dependent, because some launches will just be purely trying to solve problems from a budgetary mm. point of view and not really see the logistics, yeah. the, well, the, 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 the kind of, you know, when you, when you, the director's not always going to want to hear. How much something's going to cost? No, and that's yeah. why you keep have yeah, a sidebar yeah. conversation later. Exactly. Because yeah, maybe, yeah. you know, I've I've done a job with a costume designer who's won an Oscar, but it was four million pound film, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, how's she going to do this?" Do you know what? She walked into Angels. They were all like, "Oh," 
I've never seen a budget so low. So it doesn't always carry people's experiences and things that could happen. And there's a long term. You know, people don't think about moving around a space and what it costs to travel and what it costs to move and, you know, and you might come up with something, but maybe it just doesn't work and maybe you've got to think long-term as well and it, it, it looks expensive there, but just think outside, all those hidden costs, just paying for people to get to places and their petrol. You know, maybe if you're stationary, and, you know, there's, there's lots of things to consider, lots of things to consider. But you have to be open to other people's experience. Because I only know this through experience. If I had my first line producing job, I was like this. Pennies, pennies. It's only now that I'm starting to get a little bit more like, okay, okay, let's think about that. Actually, am I missing a trick here? Feed off. Only as good as all those other wonderful HADs feed off them. They know what they're talking about. Especially the Oscar. I listened, and guess what? It was amazing. She saved money. So you're basically saying your expense account has just got so much bigger these days. <laughs> mm. Just uh, wait to briefly come back to the production manager. Because mm. um, I freelance community and TV, so I think you kind of listed there as a line producer's job is, to me, mm. what a production manager does. Um, so what does the production manager do? On a film. Yeah. Okay. So... Like I say, very different on every single job, but broad brushstrokes, I think I could say, I will say, I manage almost the, the entire budget. The production manager will manage certain below-the-line items. Generally, camera, lighting, catering, facilities, very on-set physical things. They will do certain crew deals, prop men deals, make-up daily deals, manage that, um, but will not necessarily be involved in a director's deal, cast deals, writer's deals. Sometimes they might be, depends on the experience and the level of experience. You start getting into what's a UPM, a production supervisor, production manager, it, it, all the whole world just goes like that anyway, and how the Americans work versus TV, it all becomes very movable feast. One of the important things is you establish that when you go for your interview, Ask the question. If they're asking, I've, I've gone in for interviews for a line producer and I came out and I was like, I think you actually need a production manager because you're not releasing to me the budget and how I want to work. And that's absolutely fine, but I'm, I'm the wrong person. I know what I'm going to be like. I'm going to be controlling over that money and I want to control it. <laughs> so ask those questions early because, of, because a producer may have a very different idea of what they want you to do. But generally, I would expect my PM to manage all of that kind of stuff, genie booms, cherry pickers, plant material, that's all in the below-the-line. Yeah, below-the-line, you know, and if you've got a great coordinator, my coordinator can do facilities, and he's perfectly capable of doing that, which some people would say was a PM's job. So it does vary a little bit, but yes, very much below-the-line, I would say. I, I think that's probably a good... I'm talking about it in budget terms, about managing the budget, but... Also on set, managing the lighting, the, the sparks, what's happening, liaising with the unit manager, making sure things are all going to plan logistically with certain team members, checking in with the AD team. You know, it's, it, yeah, a bit grey actually, to be honest, a bit grey. I know what I want from my production manager, you know, on my next one. 
and we've sat down and we've talked about it and we've taken each code in the budget and I've pinged off what I would like her to control and what I would like her to deal with. So I, I, and, and if she likes one thing, and then she might say, oh, actually, I quite fancy doing that this time. And I'm like, okay, fine. Or it might be really big and a bit scary for yourself, and you're like, I think I'll hang on to that. So it di- depends on different things. It strikes me that yeah, a lot of people might look at the film industry and think there's a huge amount of ambiguity of mm-hmm. the blurring of different lines between roles. But it, it strikes me the way that you talk that it's just clarity is the absolute essence. Absolutely. I mean, I'm well, you can see by half the forms that yeah. I'm shoving down people's throats before they've started about travel and plug sockets and per diems and mileage. I'm all, I've, I think I've been taught really well by, by my, you know, by my peers about communicating and creating paperwork that's very clear. I know some of my contemporaries don't necessarily go into that detail, and that's fine. Then they can deal with the person standing here going, I thought we talked about, you know, my mileage and la 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 Because people can get a bit tense on set. It, it can get a bit afraid. And, you know, I'm a massive believer in, as you can tell, because I've been chatting on for hours now, it feels like, uh, that I will talk, 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 and make sure they un- look in their eyes. Do you, get, are we happy here? Are we happy? Is that what you understand? Because I think a lot of people just go, oh, no. <laughs> you know, and it's just hard work when you when you don't want me to list all the things that could possibly go wrong on a film set but I'm sure your imagination can work out what can go wrong I don't then need to be worrying about mileage I think communication and when you do a deal with someone being very clear what type of film it is we went, we did Mind Horn it was low budget and every single person I spoke to said we're going to the Isle of Man filming um, that alone we need to talk about that uh, Isle of Man and we we're not going to be in top-notch hotels. This is not what this film is about. But we've got Julian Barrett from The Mighty Boosh. We've got this, we've got that. We've got all these amazing things. It's going to be a right laugh. It's going to be really good fun. Sell the job, but be absolutely clear about what kind of film you're working on. I had people that turned around and went, actually, do you know what? I, I've got a 22-week TV thing, and I've just had a baby, or I don't. it was summer, I don't want to leave my kids because it's summer holidays. Many different reasons. Make sure you're clear about all of the different things. Yeah, so yeah, is answer that. <laughs> um, it sounds like you're very um, communicating with somebody who's at a lower level than you. And you could relinquish your responsibilities to them almost because they are a production manager, they are a coordinator. But how do you deal with it if somebody above you, say a producer, is, is doing half your job almost? Wow. Ooh. That's, yeah. Um, I've been lucky enough to, for that to not happen to me because generally most producers have not been line producers. Yeah, they, enjoy it they, want they want me to do the work and quite frankly they enjoy me doing all of that level of it. Um, yes, there have been instances where the person above me is quite is a strong line producer. I've had one example where I got on with that person very well in terms of monetary and she let me... You know, uh, that was the Spanish one that very much let me because she knew I knew more about the English law and and, na- and national insurance and things like that. So she let me get on with it. And I, I have got, had a, an incident where somebody has interfered. In that in in that case, I let it go because I thought there's six weeks to go, and you gauge the situation. 
basically at the end of the day there are battles to fight and there are battles to let go of and you pick your battles and what you feel really strongly about. In this case, the as long as I was not going to be left holding a film that was over budget and over schedule and ruin my reputation because that person had not allowed me to do it, that would be the only time I would probably step in. If they want to have a little bit of control and involvement, absolutely fine. Especially if they've got experience, why not? You could learn something. So I'm, I have no... It just depends on the situation. One of the situations was not quite like that. I was an American producer and, and uh, it was a little, little fraught. But I thought, you know, I'm going to step back and it was a wise move. Sometimes it's, Sometimes it's worth just taking a moment and stepping back and just, and you'll find that sometimes the personality that's here will come down. You don't need to make something worse, so you just have to gauge things a bit carefully. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, just on that previous point, what advice, I guess it depends obviously on the script, but in terms of micro budget, having a micro budget feature, what you know, big, broad advice would you give um, in terms of planning uh, for a yeah. Shouldn't be any different. Yeah, shouldn't be any different. I'm still at five million trying to get my bang for my buck. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's still about communicating with crew, ensuring they understand what they're walking into. There's plenty of tips I can give you on how to make something micro budget for, and, and, and how to knock a million off or how to knock 500,000 off or 20 grand off, depending on the scale of we're talking here. There's many different, and I've been doing that for years. You know, somebody said, I want to make this for, you know, but I've only got this. There's loads. I can sit for hours and walk through all of that. But making, the, I think one of the biggest problems is the director's aspiration versus what you've got to spend and the, the gap between the two. And that isn't any different from me sitting here now with what I'm about to do and being utterly clear. Remember that document that I said with all the, ways of what you can afford and then actually here's a way to get it down to give you more money back in a different communicating with the director maybe not me directly but even with a producer to say here's how you get your film to, to look how you want it to look but for the budget planning and communicating and not don't ever let don't let the producer sometimes don't let the producer just run with that and say it's okay try and get the director in at some point and make sure he understands too because he'll be very disappointed when he finds out that the helicopter, the crane, the snow the tiger the one week in Prague has all gone and they will look at you and go well how has that happened and they'll think maybe something you've mismanaged, well, of course it's not but sometimes you might just want to manipulate that conversation to happen um, I've got another crew member's question here. What expenses usually surprise producers the most? Good. Personal expenses, I suppose, or do you mean expenses, costs in the film? I think expenses, costs in the film. Okay. They're always the things that change all the time. Um, fuel goes up and down in price um, all the time. People's mobile phone bills, because they can't be bothered to put them in and they come at the end of the film. Um, it's generally the only surprises that have ever happened to me are because a department has not reported on their spending via either via purchase orders or putting in their petty cash regularly 
and the accountants suddenly being dumped with an amount, a bunch of invoices that have come in from blah, 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 and we just didn't know. You know, it's not going to be something like necessarily, because you tend to know where the overtime is, you tend to know where things are, are, are ex expanding. It's when a department that sometimes can be a bit invisible from you, who's working alone in a different area, is not purchase ordering, not purchase ordering. If there's one thing you take away, it's purchase order, purchase order, purchase order, purchase order. It's the only way I can track costs. Uh, it's the only way. Um, and yeah, I will get caught out, even with my little control freak nature. There, I would, there will be times where the rug's going to be pulled un under me, and it's going to be scary. Um, but uh, you know, I've always got a little bit tucked away somewhere. <laughs> Another question from anyone? Okay. Yes. Well, I never thought I was going to have one, and I have to say, the, the person that I worked with for many, many years didn't have, or doesn't have one. Um, and actually, in terms of finding work, I'm okay. It's not so. People have agents for different reasons. I had a particularly tough film, and. If I'd had an agent, and that's what made me go and seek one out, and I think I'd lost a bit of confidence um, this was several years ago, and actually this person came to me and was like, no, I think you're great, I think we'll get you in. She manages me, she, she communicates with producers. I'm off set half the time. She takes phone calls. She's, so we go, oh, what, what, I don't have time to read a script, blah, 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 you know, or whatever awful way that we... This, this person is you know, magically selling me in a way that I can't sell myself. I'm not great at networking. She can take all the calls that I want to take, that I don't want to take, and field people. Maybe I'm playing, she's playing two jobs off against each other. Um, my, built my confidence up and helped me with that. And good at negotiating my deal, so I don't have to sort of stomp in and go, no, I'm, I'm worth this, or, you know deal with that for me. It depends. I mean, I have conversations with a couple of my friends um, and they use their agent for different things. Uh, someone's utterly reliant on them for getting them work. Um, someone else for confidence boosting and how do I deal with... And I had a very difficult situation with producers and she could have intervened at that point and, and helped me navigate a solution. So different reasons. But I, I didn't have one until only a couple of years ago, I think. So she's your line producer, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, have you been tempted to move from line producer to producer? Um, yes, I was asked this year to produce a couple of things. Um, they weren't for me. Um, I went to film school, so I did do producing when I was younger, but I decided rather than do that outside, I thought I'd get into the industry and go up this way. Um, I have set up a production company with somebody else, but we haven't sort of really announced it or gone out there yet. We've got a director, theatre director, who we're talking to. So, yes, it's very possible I will do that. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether it will naturally come from line producing. I think it takes... A, the, the things that I were offered were a bit more sideways or a bit more left. Right. Uh, and I just want to keep going this way at the moment. I mean, I'm loving my job at the moment, so I'm just going to keep... You know, it's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing job. And so, you know, I'm going to keep going for a bit. And if the right opportunity, right script comes along, then maybe. But I could imagine it's pretty hard work. Much tougher than line producing, I would have thought. 
And we've got about 10 minutes left, and uh, we've got some tea and coffee and things over there. But you mentioned, and I'll open the floor to any final questions in a moment, but you mentioned coming to the end of your work on a production. Um, you also mentioned this 10% that you hold back, 40% of which normally yeah. goes into post-production. That's right. Um, I do have a few questions here from crew members about post-production. To what extent is the line producer expected to get involved with post-production and delivery? Can they walk away once the project is handed over to post-production supervisor? And if you're approached, what kinds of films and the budget schedule phase um, are you expected to deal with in terms of post-production? Mm-hmm. So it, really it's your involvement in yeah. the whole well, of that. We tend to get a post-production supervisor on board, depending on the type of project. If it's a heavy VFX project, probably quite early. Um, You're certainly talking to somebody and getting them involved. They normally start work part-time on the first day of production um, because they're... uh, if if you've got enough money to do that. Um, um, I hand over... Well, not me, but actually my coordinator will hand over... I mean, these days... I mean, I remember the days when... Sounds old, doesn't it? Where we would photocopy the files for delivery, for one for Warner Brothers, one for this, one for that. Now everything's a minute the contract comes in, Scott is scanning them on a photocopier and they're going on a Google Drive and it's a press of a button and it's all being delivered. But it's absolutely imperative that all the contracts, all the clearances, anything that you've done during shooting is handed to the post supervisor because you can imagine everybody's gone, someone's gone up a mountain to Nepal and they haven't signed their contract. You, you, it's not great for a post-supervisor. So part of your job of that delivery and handover is making sure you hand over everything signed and complete. You would involve a post-supervisor because they are left with things like music clearances. They're left with clearances on set. They're left, they're left with anything that is unsigned. So it's good to have a good relationship with them early. It's So I answered it earlier about normally I'd be four to five weeks and then I'm gone because by that time we have finished the Google Drive got all the side contracts, got all the side clearances they get involved in archive footage they'll get involved in the recording of the music musicians they'll get involved in ADR which is you know when, when the plane's going over and you can't hear what the actor's saying and they have to come back into a studio and record it all again um, they probably won't do a reshoot or a pick up then I'll be drafted back in to do that um, but the, like I said, the technology is changing now that I'm afraid I, I just I, I wouldn't be able to keep up. I don't think anymore with all the other things that are changing with you know in the film industry. Um, so that's why I tend not to do all of the post production. One other thing that someone's mentioned about actually, and this probably doesn't necessarily apply to people in this room, but we're recording this, so gaining more experience, where to look, mm. how. Do you, should you just offer yourself up free to work on projects? Um, I'm not a big fan of people working for free. I think, in fact, I think even my insurance company has given me a guideline that people should only do two weeks. Uh, so I have no, no problem with work experience for two weeks to get ahead and come and learn and do unpaid work. But I don't really, I'm not very comfortable with people doing unpaid work. Different if five of you are going to make a short film and you're all going to go away and do camera locations, then that's great. That's completely different. But, if, but on, on something I'm working on, um, I'm not keen on doing that. So how do you find the work? Well, 
as a line producer, you're not going to be working in that way anyway. But if you mean more at a junior or assistant level, yeah. it's finding the films and breaking into the films. I mean, for me, I went about it a bit different, a bit of a different way because I didn't know anybody. So I made friends with the photo guy that ran, owned the photocopiers because the first thing that goes in a production office is the photocopier. And he would ring me up and say, oh, I've just got taken one into L Street, blah, blah, blah. And then I would go and befriend the postwoman at Pinewood Studios and put, get her to put my CV in every pigeonhole for all of the films. Um, just endless, endless, endless trying and trying and trying. I, I'm not big one for unsolicited, you know, sort of cold calling emails. I f- tend to not to get a very good response from that. What you do get a good response from? Oh, well, the whole world—the whole world has changed now because, of course, there are Facebook groups with runners on, and that's—I'm finding that the younger people I know are finding work through Facebook groups because they can't do a day because they've just been offered Star Wars. Now they need to cover themselves on DCI banks, and now off, and somebody comes into here. It, it's the technology has changed so much that me standing in a post room with my CV is probably not the best advice anymore. But you've just got to keep going and going. And someone will, And once you're in, don't think of it half-hearted. Go for it. Do not let anybody else take that job from you. <laughs> you know, fight for it and show your initiative. Um, and always smile. We like someone that smiles, you see. If you do, oh yes, now the hands go up. Yep. Just one small question. What inspired you to come here today to stand up and give the talk? Oh, well, I love talking. You can tell, can't you? No, um, I teach at the Production Guild. I, I've done a talk for Nikki many years ago. I think it's, I, I, I get a lot from it. I enjoy it. Um, I think it's really amazing to see all these people here that are actually interested in coming and listening to me. I think. I don't think I'm, I'm not going to be the best. I'm not the worst. But if there's something that I can do that will inspire you to just keep going, because it is, I promise you, all of the jobs I've done, they, they are the best. It's the best job I've ever done, and I can't imagine doing anything else. And if I can just instill some excitement in keeping going and doing it, that's why I come. Because you, you'll all know how to do a spreadsheet and organise your travel. You don't need me to tell you to do that. But sometimes it can weigh you down. And you just wonder when you're ever going to get a break and the, the route that you're taking. And you just sometimes, I think, seeing people and talking to people and just getting excited again about something and reminding yourself why you wanted to do it in the first place. It's an ace place to work. And then it grew brilliant. And it's tough. It's long hours. We know all of this. There's nothing more exciting. Nothing more exciting. I don't think. Which is why I'm sat here, because I want you to be excited about it. And we also offered an unlimited supply of tea after the event. So, yeah. yeah, that helped. Uh, one more question from a very different angle, really. If you were in the shoes of a producer, mm-hmm. what would you be looking for in your line producer? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Good question. Yeah, really good question. I've actually no idea because I've never been in that position. I suppose i 'm looking for somebody who 's got quite a logistical brain, a problem solver, and going to it 's not frightened of confrontation but doesn 't create confrontation okay so I'm, i I hate confrontation I have to say i 'm really uh, but i 'm not scared of it if I know something 's going down on set i 'll go i won 't sit in my office and i 'll go because 
as much as my hands might be sweating, I'll walk straight up and go, okay, what, what's the issue? And that finding that line between strong but not being aggressive, and I say those people skills to navigate through issues, you've just got to be calm and try and be calm about things. And logistical brain, a bit of problem solving, and conscientious, I guess. That's probably quite a lot, isn't it? I think, I think it's the people management that it keeps coming back to over and over again. You get crew to work with you, then everything's possible. If they don't want to communicate with you, there's things that are going to just go under this chair, get hidden, and you're not going to know. And then what, what kind of like, you're not going to know. You're going to be really in a tough position. So it's pouring out the, you know, and, and, and seeing someone's skills at doing that. Do you think you've honed, over your time of being a line producer, honed your instincts of being able to judge people? Uh, no. I, I don't think I'm necessarily... Or reading people. Yeah, reading. Reading, people. not Absolutely. judge people, reading people. No, 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 but sort of guessing what a kind of person... I, oh, yeah, you always think someone's really nicey-nice and then poof, poof, goes <laughs> off on set. No, I'm not necessarily very good at judging that, but... I'm definitely, I can see suddenly a twitch and I'm like, uh-oh, you know, I, I'm starting to work out and sense things. I think I have become much more focusing in on that, the people skills, which I ne- not necessarily, you know, I didn't necessarily, they weren't very strong when I started. I've spent more time on that to become a more successful line producer so that I can actually get someone to talk to me. If they talk to me, I'll be able to sort the problem out. If they don't talk to me, then it's my job on the line as well. And I think that's, that's been tough for me because when I started out, I wasn't naturally... You know, I, I would never have imagined I would be sat here. I was quite sh- I'm quite shy. I still am quite shy. I know I don't look like it's sat here, but I'm talking about something I know. But, you know, I, I, it's taken a lot of work. But I think it's really important, really important. Um, if you do want to ask a question of Sarah Jane, she's going to stick around here. Do come up and chat with her. Uh, thanks to Cassandra at BAFTA and also to Nikki at Creative England, who had sat at the back there for helping to organise this event. Uh, but most of all, can you please join me in thanking Sarah Jane Wheel?